0: I'm looking forward to preaching God's word this morning, to, to helping us see God, to helping us worship God, to helping us grow in wisdom through our study, through the Psalms and Proverbs, and here's the outline that I have for you today. Uh, I'm going to start off with some burdens that I have, some things that break my heart about what I see, and, and a Psalm that, that can help us worship the Lord in a deeper way. And an attribute of God we're gonna see in this psalm that could help relieve this burden, relieve this tension that I have in my heart, and maybe you've experienced it as well. After that, uh, we're gonna spend just a little bit of time in a proverb. I'm gonna share with you three burdens that I have, a proverb, some specific ways to apply this message. And like always, come on somebody, don't we love the fact that the Movement Church is a place where the gospel of Jesus Christ is primary. It's not just about good advice from the scriptures, ultimately it's about good news of something Jesus already did for us, and we live from God's love for us and not for God's love for us, and so we will close with the gospel and then sing unto our God, and so... Uh, Let me just set up this burden before I get into it. This burden that I have today that I know this psalm is going to help us with comes from the pastoral conversations I had in the fall. Um, As many of you know, God placed it on my heart uh, last fall to provide opportunities to have as many pastoral calls with as many of you who wanted a pastoral call to talk about your life, what you were going through. And here's what I've found. As I talk to many of you, and, and here's the first way I'm going to say this burden. want to say it like this. I found out that many of you are more aware of how you have failed in following Jesus than you are aware of how you are succeeding. Maybe someone would put in the comments, amen. I think I could be prone to being more aware of my failures in my walk with Jesus rather than how I'm succeeding. I would ask many of you, you know, how's your walk with the Lord going well? And some of you had a hard time articulating how it was going well, but when it came to articulating what you're struggling with, it was very easy Many of you even started out with, before even going into what was going good, I should be reading my Bible more, or I should be a better parent to my kids, and you just started on in with all of the things you should be doing. And I found this to be true, and another way I want to say it like this, as I thought about this, I realized on most days, many of you are more discouraged by how much you need to grow in holiness rather than encouraged by how you have grown in holiness. How many of you would agree with that? On many days, you are more aware, you are more cognizant of, this is how I need To grow. This is how I am unholy rather than dwelling upon, thanking God for the ways that you have become more holy. Now, my final burden really states what's at stake here. It's not just about self esteem and having a greater amount of self esteem. Ultimately, I want to show you in this last burden by being more transfixed on how far we have to go rather than how far God has brought us, we lack worship. We lack worship. I say it this way. You worry more about the person you're not rather than worshiping God for the powerful ways in which he has already made you more like himself. See, if we're not clear on how God has grown us, we will not worship him for the ways he has grown us. How many of you have ever found yourself worshiping God for your sinful ways? <laughs> Come on. We don't ever think about our sinful ways and then just worship the Lord. And so this is a burden. As I talked to many of you, I, I found there was this obvious Paying attention to what you lacked rather than how God has made you whole. And so the good news is, there's a psalm. There's a psalm, there's an attribute of God that I want us to see. And this attribute of God is, is a big attribute of God, and it has many implications, but the one implication I want to focus on on this attribute of God is of how it solves the problem of us being more transfixed on our failures than the ways in which we are succeeding in our walk with the Lord. How many of you in the comments would say, I could use some encouragement in the way that I'm growing in Christ, because often I find myself discouraged. And in Psalm 33, Psalms that we read this week, in Psalm 34, we see an attribute of God. It's going to be pretty obvious to you, but let me read it. I'll unpack it, and then we'll talk about some implications. If it's true that this is an attribute of God... How then should we live in response? And so let's look at what the psalmist says. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of man. From his dwelling place, he looks closely. He looks closely upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all. Watch this here. Who considers and understands All that they do. Obviously here, there's an attribute of God that he sees. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God was mindful of us. His mind is on us. And so we should keep our minds on the God whose mind is on us. Well, today, it's a little bit more nuanced of a characteristic. His mind is not only on us, come on somebody, but His eyes are on us. The eyes of Almighty God are on you. And they're not only on you, but they're closely on you. And not only are they closely on you, as His eyes are on you, God is considering and understanding the things that you do. I praise God for being a God who who sees me. He's not just mindful of me, he sees me. And I'm going to connect this to my burden in just a second. Let me show you Psalms 34. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. The Amplified Version says, Who are the righteous? Those with moral courage and spiritual integrity, and his ears are open to their cry. Now, eyes of the Lord God sees El Roy is this name of God the God who sees it's an Old Testament passage I believe it's um the woman Hagar who says this about God the God who sees me El Roy have I seen the God who sees me do you see the God who sees you you And there's just a couple commentaries that I want to draw our attention to to help us understand these two verses in the book of Psalms. What does this mean? A little bit more understanding to what it means for God to see us. This is Charles Spurgeon. He says, The Lord is represented as dwelling above and looking down below, seeing all things, but peculiarly observing and caring for those who trust in him. It is one of our choicest privileges, catch this, it is one of our choicest privileges to be always under our Father's eye, to be never out of sight of our best friend. God sees you this morning. Maybe put in the comments, just as a declaration, God sees me, God sees me, God sees me, Um. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, he says this. He not only beholds them, he not only sees them, but he looks upon them. He looks narrowly upon them. In the Hebrew, that's what the word is rendered. It it looks narrowly, so narrowly that not the least thought can escape his observation. That not the least thought can escape his observation. Now, many times when we think about a God who sees and preachers can do this sometimes, what we think about is a God who sees all of the bad stuff we're doing, he sees your evil thoughts, he sees what you're thinking, he sees what you did when no one is looking and so be afraid because God sees because God sees because God sees and is it true that he sees your evil thoughts it absolutely is Is it true that he sees the impure motivations of your heart? It absolutely is. But just as much as it is true that he sees all the unsanctified things about you, come on somebody, this God also sees all the ways in which you are living a holy life to the best of your ability. He sees this as well. And so here's the big idea that I want to draw from these two verses. Very simply, I want to say this. All, all, every single one of your God-honoring deeds, actions, and motivations have been seen by God and have honored and glorified God. I want to encourage you with that this morning, and I want to slow down for just a second here on this slide in particular. And I want to help you to see some of the things that God sees. Because for whatever reason, we don't see it. We don't acknowledge it. We're just so uh, skilled at seeing the ways in which we fail. But I want to help us with the skill of becoming more God-like and seeing us how He sees us. Wives, can I talk to you for just a moment? Wives, the Lord sees, the Lord sees your patience with your husband. Come on somebody, come on wives, doesn't that encourage you? The Lord sees it. He sees, he sees how you bite your tongue. Come on wives, you need to be encouraged by that. There are times when you want to say that snarky thing to your husband and you, under the power of the Holy Spirit, don't say it. He sees it. Not only does he see how you uh, withhold harmful words from your husband, he sees the times when you encourage your spouse as well. And I know, come on, some of you, you don't want to even do it, wives. You don't want to do it. But you draw yourself to do it because you know it's the right thing to do. And wives, you need to know your heavenly father sees it whether your husband acknowledges it or not wives he sees how you you pick up after your husband come on somebody maybe i'm just talking to my wife maybe just i'm encouraging my wife he sees how you how you care for him he sees how you pray for your husband he sees it moms he sees how you love your children he sees how you sacrifice for them He sees how you go the extra mile for your children when you have no desire to do it. Moms, he sees it. He sees it. He sees the sacrifices you make. He hears your cries for for sleep. Come on, somebody. The Lord knows, moms, wives, that you need rest and, and, and you are tired and weary God sees it, and he sees how you have persevered and pushed through even in light of your weariness. He sees that. The question is, do you see that? Do you see how you've grown in self-control? Do you see how you've grown in love for your husband, in love for your children? Do you see how you are not the woman who you used to be? By the grace of God, you are more sanctified. Do you see what God sees? Now, fellas, I'm not going to leave you out in the cold. Come on, somebody. Come on, husbands, come on. We bite our tongues too. Come on, somebody. We bite our tongues too. It's not just them. And let me tell you, fellas, God sees. Come on. God sees. He sees. He knows what we could say. We're the leader of the home. Come on, come on. And he sees how we are doing our best to love our wife like Christ loved the church and to sacrifice for her. And husbands, I know. I know I I could be down on myself. You hear me do it all the time. I'm not the best husband. I'm not the best husband. But I need to start seeing the ways in which I'm also not the husband I used to be. And you, husband, And you, Father, aren't the husband and the father that you used to be? And I just want to know, are you giving yourself any credit for what God has done in you as a husband, as a father, for how you sacrifice for your wife, for how you sacrifice for your children? for how even in a a pandemic season, you work hard and you are doing your best to provide and you take the kids out to the park and you go out for the walks, even when you'd rather stay home, you choose to serve. God sees that. Do you see that? God sees you, church family. He sees you reading your word but what do we see? We could be reading our word more. But your heavenly father wants to say to you today, I've seen how you have read your word at the beginning of 2021 and that has honored me. He sees your journal entries. He sees how you have confessed your sin and said, Lord, I'm sorry, he sees how you've shown up for prayer meetings and shown up for group meetings when you didn't want to. Come on somebody. Am I the only one who doesn't want to show up to virtual group? Put it in the chat. I'm sick of virtual group. I'm sick of virtual church. But you have shown up and God sees that and that means something to God. To my singles, he sees you. He sees you abstaining from sexual immorality. He sees that. He sees you fleeing from sexual temptation. This is only, all, only for our singles, obviously, our married folks as well, the ways in which you shut the computer and you flee, the ways in which you avoid those conversations with those people. The ways in which you love people and serve people and give. When no one else sees, he sees it. God sees it. And I wonder, I wonder how much more we would worship God if we saw ourselves as he sees us. So, so here's a couple outworkings um, Because God sees, I want to give you three outworkings of this principle. Because God sees, God is just as aware of our sanctification as He is our sin. Therefore, we need to be too. We need to be too aware of how we've been sanctified. Some of you pride yourself on talking about how unsanctified you are and how far you have left to grow, and I praise God that we can be transparent about our sin, but we also need to be real about what God has done in us towards the end of praising and worshiping Him. Here's another outflowing of this. Hopefully this is helpful. Because God sees, we can be less disappointed when others don't see. Some of you are growing weary in doing well because your husband isn't acknowledging you, because your wife isn't acknowledging you, because your kids aren't acknowledging you, because your parents don't see how hard you're trying especially for for those adults who are caring for elderly parents and and your parents are past the point of appreciating for how you are caring for them and praying for them. See, when we see the fact that God sees the things that we are doing, we, we don't need the approval as man as much when we know God sees it and God approves of it. The only one whose opinion truly matters Sees the good that you do behind the scenes. And when we're convinced that he does, El Roy, the God who sees, we need it less from others. The last implication of this is simply this. We need to catch our brothers and sisters in Christ doing right and affirm and encourage them. Sometimes... um in church circles there could be this pride in calling out sin and we get so excited about calling out the sin in our brothers and sisters life catching people in sin oh you were caught in sin and do we need to in love share yes absolutely but how many of you need to be caught doing right every now and then come on somebody how many of you need to be affirmed and encouraged by a brother and sister in Christ about how they see you growing in your faith? Imagine, you know, opposite of a council culture, a cancel culture of you're doing it wrong, a cancel culture of, of you sinned and so I cancel you. How about a, a call-out culture of, of sanctification A call-out culture that says, way to go for being more patient. I see how you are more kind than you used to be. I see how you are more loving. I see how you are more generous. Can you imagine the community of faith that we could be that if at the movement church people knew that this isn't only a place where I'm going to be called out for my sin in love, but I'm also going to be caught growing in holiness. I'm going to be caught growing in holiness. Who do you need to catch growing in holiness? Who who do you need to encourage for how they're becoming more like Christ out of the overflow of God seeing? See here, one last thing before I move on. If we aren't convinced that God sees how we are maturing in our faith, for how we're more holy than we used to be. If we don't see that God sees it, we aren't going to have the the spiritual strength to see it in others because we're going to be so downcast, so focused on ourselves and the work that we have yet to do that we won't be able to look up and identify it in others. Come on, some of you, you are so self-absorbed with your journey that you have no energy to call out the good in others. So narrow, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to be better here that it prevents you from seeing the sanctified nature of your brother or sister in Christ. God sees So here's what I want to do now. This is just not a theological concept to know that God sees your sanctification. See, that theological concept should lead you to worship. Because how many of you would agree God is worthy to be praised that you're not the angry guy that you used to be, that you're not the selfish girl that you used to be, That you're not the selfish woman that you used to be. That you're not the self centered person that you used to be. That you aren't the liar that you used to be. But the Holy Spirit of God has made you more like Him. How many of you would say, I need to be in awe of that? I need to worship God for that. So, would we right now just take a second? See what God sees. How has he sanctified you? How are you more like him? And let's just praise him for it. Right there in your home, right where you're at, we praise you, God. I praise you, Lord. And I just ask you, God, would you help us to see as you see? Help us to see the good that you see in us. Help us to see that good as well. Do we not have a category for seeing how you've made us more like you? And not towards the end of inflated self-esteem, but towards the end of worshiping you. God, I worship you for making me more like you. I worship you that I'm not the man that I used to be. I'm not the husband that I used to be. I'm not selfish like I used to be. I praise you for that, Lord. And I praise you that there are mothers who are more giving than they used to be. There are fathers who are more sacrificial than they used to be. There are brothers and sisters who are more loving than they used to be. There are sons and daughters who are more mindful of their parents than they used to be. And we praise you because, Lord, we know you did that work in us. You did that work in us, God. So we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, I bind the enemy, the enemy that lies to us and tells us that there's only bad in us, that there's no good in us, that there's only failure and not progress. I bind the enemy in Jesus' name. Help us to see what you see, God, so that we can worship you more fully, more completely. And not only that, but so that we could see it in others. Call it out in others. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Was that encouraging for some of you? I wish I could see your face. I wish I could see you right now preaching to this daggum camera wish I could see you right now, and I could look you in the eyes, and I could tell you God sees you, see what he sees, and worship him. If that blessed you, if that blessed you, what you put in the comments, I needed to be reminded that God sees me. I needed to be encouraged by that today. Uh, switching gears, switching gears. Uh, Want to just give you some burdens that will lead us into a proverb that I hope is helpful for us. A proverb that is helpful. So thankful, man. These proverbs, it's been such a nice mix to worship God in the Psalms, to lament, to be honest with our feelings with God and about God in the Psalms, and then to read a proverb that just gives us some some tips for practical living, for wise living that honors God and And this burden also comes from conversations I've had with some of you, conversations that I had uh, with Principal Killian Betlock. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. But here's the way I want to lead us into the burdens. Uh, I'm just brokenhearted right now about the fact that our neighbors have needs. Our neighbors have needs. Your neighbors have needs. Duh, duh. But I was made aware of this uh, in a greater measure when we handed uh, Principal Killian uh, this check. And so I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to challenge you in a moment in regards to generosity. Let me just, spoiler alert, but let me encourage you first. Church family, you are generous. You are sacrificial. In December, we did Be Generous. Our giving campaign. And because of your generosity, we were able to give a $10,000 check to Elmhurst United, the school that we support, the school that we love, the school that we used to meet at and will prayerfully meet at again soon. But it was crazy. We sat down. We asked Principal Killian how he was doing. And uh, he let us know that there are many families in the school that are struggling. And he told us what he did with last year's money. I had no idea that this is how the money was being dispersed. But last year, we were able to give Elmhurst $15,000. And he goes, out of that $15,000 that we gave, 10000 of those dollars were given to the families in the Elmhurst neighborhood who were struggling financially folks who had their lights cut off, folks who had their power turned off, folks who couldn't pay their bills and who were letting the school know about how they were struggling financially, Elmhurst, because of your generosity, was able to give out $400 checks, $400 in cash to various families over and over and over again. And I've got to tell you, this was so encouraging to me because in the midst of this pandemic, and maybe you felt this way as well, I felt like, wow, there are a lot of churches doing a lot more for their community than we are. And little did I know that the gift we had given was well, kept giving, that it kept giving throughout this time. And I want to tell you, church family, your sacrificial giving in 2019 made a difference in the people of the neighborhood of Elmhurst in 2020. And he said we pretty much depleted that $10,000. And so what I said is, well, praise God because we have another $10,000 to give you and church family, what you need to know is in 2021, your generosity in 2020 is going to do that, is going to be a blessing and so, um, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. But it made me aware of how many needs there were in our community. And there's in our church, there continues to be people without jobs. I've learned recently that people have lost their jobs. Both incomes. People have lost their jobs. And so, through Be Generous... We are going to help those people as much as we can. Our, my burden is our neighbors have needs. Let me go a little bit deeper with the burden before I get to the proverb. Oftentimes, our ability to give to those in need far exceeds our willingness. Now, some of you, your willingness exceeds your ability. You want to, but you only have so much ability. But I think for the majority of us, me included, are ability to give we can we have extra but it far outweighs our willingness I'm brokenhearted about that I'm brokenhearted about the fact that yes many of you gave to be generous but many of you didn't members of this church some of you are members and you didn't give towards the be generous offering and I'm not talking it's not the amount that counts five dollars seven dollars whatever it is for some of us, our ability exceeds our willingness, which leads to my final burden. Many of us, we miss out on the joy of generosity. There's a joy knowing that people in the neighborhood of Elmhurst were blessed and helped out practically through my and your sacrificial giving. There's joy in that. And so what does the proverb say? that is going to spur us on to more good works. The proverb says this, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power. Let me make it clear. It's not talking about giving what we don't have to give, but it's giving with what is in our power to give. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. I can serve later, I could give later, I could give it next, be generous, I could get involved with the next opportunity. The message translation says it this way, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Your hand is God's hand for that person. I love that. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Don't tell your neighbor maybe some other time or try me tomorrow when the money's right there in your pocket. Friends, how may you be withholding good? I heard a story in our uh, group this last week. Under the inspiration of this passage in the Holy Spirit, one family in our church decided to just pray about a dollar amount that they'd be willing to give away. Having nothing to do with a church campaign or anything, that just led by the Spirit to say, hey, let's put aside this amount of money So that if someone has a need, we can give it. And there came a phone call, an opportunity to give shortly after they put that declaration before the Lord. That would be an example of being ready to give, posturing yourself as ready to give. And Ray Ortland, he has some pretty intriguing thoughts on this passage. Look what he says. Look what he says here. We sin against each other not only by the bad things we do, but also by the beautiful things we withhold. Is that a word or what? Withheld love is a life-depleting sin. It is a sin to tell ourselves, I'm not doing anybody any harm. The question is, what good are you withholding? Come on, friends. Are we going to be satisfied with not hurting anybody? Is that the goal in our lives? I'm just not going to do anyone harm. Or will we hold ourselves to a higher standard that says, not only will I not harm, but I will do good. He closes his thoughts by saying this, all around us are opportunities to breathe life into more people. We cannot do everything, but we can do something for his sake. If we have the ability, they have the ownership, and we owe it today, not tomorrow. If we have the ability, they have the ownership. Remember the message from several months ago, owe no one anything but the debt to what? To love. The debt to love. If we have the ability, they own our debt to love them. They own it so we should fulfill that debt. That's a a deep thought. And we owe it today, not tomorrow. Here's the big idea here. It is unwise to withhold good. The Proverbs are wisdom for wise living. And what we are shown here, it is unwise to withhold good. I think good sometimes in our hands should be like hot potato. Come on, you remember that game? When something got in your hands, the goal was what? To get it out of your hands as soon as possible. But many times, what do we do? Good comes into our hands. Finances come into our hands. And what do we do? Hold it. Preserve it for ourselves. But how many of you would say, I don't want to be a a reservoir that kind of clogs it all up, but I want to be a conduit by which goodness and financial blessing can flow through, can flow through, So blessing comes into my hand, good comes into my hand, and I let it go, and it comes into my hand, and I let it go because it is unwise to hold it to ourselves. So how can we apply this as we land the plane this morning? It's a couple ways to apply this message to our lives as it relates to the psalm that we talked about out front. See your sanctification Maybe this week, you would would stop and you would write down a list of who you've become, of who you became in 2020, of the ways you've grown over the first couple months of 2021, first month and some days. And praise God, may that turn into worship. Don't just pat yourself in the back, oh, I'm awesome, but turn it into worship. But don't just see your sanctification. I also want you to see the good in your hand. What do you have the ability to do? What finances can you give? $5, $20. What time can you give? One day a week. Two days a week. Three hours a week. And give it for the glory of God. See the good in your hands. See the need that someone has. And give it. Now. Two practical ways that we could do this. Two, cash money. Come on, somebody. Cash money. Maybe some of you today, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you didn't give to be generous. Or maybe you want to participate. You would just go on to that pinned link, and you would give. Give to be generous in market, be generous so we could give it out. Or maybe you just want to give to the church because you haven't given. Give money. That's a way. There's a thought in my mind. If there's more, be generous dollars can come in that I want to bless. And we want to bless both the people in our church who have financial needs, who've lost jobs who the results and the, uh, the complications and consequences of the pandemic are catching up to them, that we could bless them. But also, maybe we could give Elmhurst another check. Depending on how God moves on your heart, depending on how God moves on our hearts, we can give Elmhurst another unexpected blessing to bless that community. Now, you might just look at the second one and be like, diapers, what the heck is that? Well, we also found out in talking to Principal Killian that every week they give out diapers to the families in the community who have the ongoing need for diapers. And in my final days at the Movement Church, I wanted to leverage any influence I have, any leadership I have. to get as many diapers to Elmhurst as possible. I want us to overwhelm Oakland with diapers. Come on, somebody. I want us... Every time you go to the store and you just bring them down here to the office on our last two services that we have, we'll be collecting diapers, the public services on the Paz Palooza, you bring diapers. Every opportunity, he said in particular, we need the big sizes, we need the big size diapers for the bigger kids. And can I just, and and, and church, you've been so good at this. I still got to run the numbers, but I don't know. I want it to be something crazy. I want to overwhelm Elmhurst. I want us to bring so many boxes of diapers. They won't know what to do with it because we can, church family. We have it in our ability to every now and then, over the next couple of months, when we're out shopping, to grab some diapers, to bring it here to the church office, and slowly but surely, we're going to start piling up these diapers to have one big, gigantic blessing for Elmhurst United and the Elmhurst neighborhood. And so if you would, join me in that, some practical ways, giving the Be Generous diapers if you're in come on if you're in i want to give some diapers i'm going to buy some diapers we're going to be a blessing to meet practical needs of the folks in elmhurst with some diapers say i'm in i'm in i'm in i'm in now let me close with the good news the gospel lest you feel weighed down by the ways in which you have withheld good Lest you feel overwhelmed with a sense of, man, I haven't seen what God has seen in me and I haven't worshipped Him. Or if you're overwhelmed by just, yes, I see the good, but I do have so much bad. Let me give you some good news today, friends. Good news today. Look at this. The psalmist writes, no good thing does he withhold. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. How many of you are thankful that we serve a God that even when we withhold good, he does not withhold good from us. While we were yet sinners, God gave his best. He did not withhold his one and only son, but for God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. He gave us his first. He gave us his only. He gave us his best to be a substitute Because Jesus never withholds any good from anybody. And through faith in him, his free giving is credited to us. This is the gospel. This righteous part of Jesus that did not withhold any sort of good. He didn't even withhold himself being at the right hand of God. But he incarnated by not withholding that righteousness gets bestowed and given to us. So we don't have to have an unhealthy fear of the Lord. So we don't have to feel condemned. If you have made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, Jesus' righteousness is your righteousness. You have been forgiven for all of your selfish ways. Someone say hallelujah. You have been forgiven for all the unsanctified things about you. Jesus' blood cleanses you from all of that sin. And so now we can worship, so now that we can give and not withhold, not out of guilt, but out of the overflow of God's grace in our lives. What would our life be like? What could your life be like if more often than not, you were aware of how God does not withhold any good from you? Maybe if you were more aware of how God has not withheld any good from you, how he gave you his best in Jesus, it would loosen our grip on the things that he has given us. Because if he gave it to us before, he'll give it to us again. If he gave it to us before, he'll give it to us again. How could your home be different, wives, if you didn't withhold good words for your husband's? Husbands, if you didn't withhold encouragement and affirmation for your spouse, if we as a church family, we saw the good in others and we did not withhold good from them, but we gave them good at every opportunity, we saw them and we met their practical needs, we met their emotional needs the best way we could. How could our church be stronger? How could we be more of a light in our world. I, I just pray, even through the gift of money and diapers, ultimately, and maybe you could join me in praying this, that Principal Killian, Betlock, and their entire team, they just say, Who is the God behind those people who gave us all these diapers? Come on, somebody. Who was the God behind this extravagant generosity? What a difference we could make in our worlds, right around us, in the worlds of the people who are in our sphere of influence.